Concord Matters is made possible in part by a generous gift from Set Apart to Serve, the church work recruitment initiative of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ Church, but many pastors, teachers, and other full-time church workers left careers to pursue this life of service. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about a second career as a church worker, the Set Apart to Serve team wants to help. Visit kfuo.org slash SAS. That's kfuo.org slash SAS. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by His inerrant Word through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed of Christ, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's Word, nothing more, nothing less. And we do it all for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We continue our studies in the Augsburg Confession with Article 25 on confession. Really, as we hear these words, it really should say confession and absolution. Because according to tradition, there is an old Scottish proverb, according to legend at least, that says confession is good for the soul. Now, culturally, we see this all the time. It's good for people to come clean, like Lance Armstrong after his steroids, uh, Tiger Woods after his debacles, all of this and the same time. Is that the same thing as Scripture tells us? We don't have a box to go to with a priest. Does that mean we don't believe in it? How does this all fit together as we see it all throughout the confessions? And so today, we also see it all throughout Scripture. So open up your book of Concord and open up your Bible and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, Executive Director of Lutheran Association of Missionary Pilots in Canada and LAMP Ministry U.S. Pastor Shave, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thanks for having me, Brady. Well, Dr. Shave, let's just get into it. We are in the Book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition from CPH on page 49 on confession. Now, I want (laughs) to, Dr. Shave and I were talking about a few things here because this is actually the second time confession is in the Augsburg Confession. So we we quipped that uh, it's like when Paul wrote the second letter to the Corinthians. This is second confessions. I've never heard that before. Have you ever, th- ever heard that before, Dr. Shave? No, but it did seem like he's driving home the point for a reason. Absolutely. So, so now we'll hear it once again. So we'll read the note on page 49, um, Article 25 on Confession. The practice of private confession absolution with one's pastor has fallen out of use in, the, in many Lutheran congregations. This was never Luther's intention. Neither was private confession and absolution abandoned during the first two centuries of Lutheran history. What the Lutheran Reformation corrected were the false teachings about confession. Problems arose in the church when teachings about confession made satisfactions such as such a prominent part of it. When people were told to do certain activities, example, repeating the Hail Mary or doing acts of contrition, 
to make up for their sins, Christ's gospel was overshadowed, if not completely hidden. Lutheranism, therefore, did away with the anti-biblical teaching about satisfaction for sins and the requirement that people try to remember and confess each sin committed. See also uh, small called articles and Appendix B and Exhortation to Confession. Now, Pastor Shave, as we look at uh, confession, uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on, and it's very important to Lutherans. How do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, most people are familiar with confession absolution because it's part of the divine service. So the question becomes, why do so few people take uh, advantage of confession and absolution privately with your pastor? And I think from the note, we get a good sense that there's a stigma behind it. Um, first of all, that it was you know, something before the Reformation that was kind of abused and that people were expected to somehow um, cause their own salvation or forgiveness by doing so many uh, ten Hail Marys or whatever it might be. And so that attachment, I think, has um, not helped. I think the other part of that, too, though, is the stigma behind it. So as a pastor, you understand that when you do confession absolution and it's a set time and a set place, um, as soon as Bob walks in the door to receive absolution, um, he kind of uh, is concerned that other people are going to be looking at it and saying, oh, what did Bob do that he's got to go and talk to the pastor? Mm. Instead of seeing it as, you know, a doctor and a physician, um, you know, that you would never think that about somebody going to see their physician um, for their care. Uh, that would be a totally normal thing. And so I think we have to get past that stigma of there's something wrong with going to receive absolution instead of viewing it as what we're hearing here in the note even is that this is a wonderful gift that everyone should take advantage of and that's a good that's a really good point as you think about um the same thing happens if you go to a counselor that you know you hear people and uh that are like well you don't go around and tell everyone by the way this is my counselor uh, we same thing of uh, even a lot of times if you go to the doctor's office and you see somebody in the waiting room with you, you don't say, hey, what are you here for? <laughs> that right. kind of thing. So there is a this is a totally uh, it makes sense that we would have some stigma to it, despite it being the free and gracious gift of Christ and the forgiveness of sins, despite everyone knowing in the room, well, I sin and you sin. Mm -hmm. So there is that reality and something that you are listeners um, it's good for you to know, as you look at this, that there's a lot of moving parts to this, a lot of things that can make people anxious. And so that's why the confessors were very clear about how they did this, that it was not meant to be a mandate, but something that was uh, a free and gracious gift. Anything else you want to highlight before we begin? Well, just in the practical sense that I think... Um, pastors can do this in a way that takes away from some of that stigma and maybe they just set that up as a time of prayer so people just come to speak with the pastor there's nothing wrong with that they might receive a blessing they might have a heavy burden upon them and so they can hear that uh, that sin has been absolved the other thing too is a practical note is that you know when you do get people talking like that um, sometimes they want to confess other people's sins rather than their own. So if you can make this a healthy thing by, you know, I'm just going to set aside an hour before service. 
uh, to allow for a time of prayer. Everyone else hangs back. Somebody else comes forward, and they might be there to receive a blessing. They might have a huge burden they want to get off their shoulders. But there are healthy ways to do this. And again, it is a true blessing uh, to those who receive it. Or the, just like a Minnesotan, they are just wanting to talk about the game at noon, uh, the Vikings game. So who knows? You never know what they're talking about, right? Could be. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so so I want to I, I want to highlight this as we as I mentioned before that confession. This is the second time it is in the Augsburg Confession. Clearly, it is also in the Small Catechism, and so it's something that that keeps coming up for a good reason. So I do want to do this. If you would turn with me to page thirty-five. Uh, to Article 11. I want to read that and then go to our article today and read that afterwards because it's kind of confession Article 11 is kind of like the small catechism version. And then we get to the apology before the apology uh, in in Article 25. So just turn with me to page 35 in Article 11 of confession. And I think it's just helpful to see what they reaffirm. Here it is at the bottom of 35. Our churches teach that private absolution should be retained in the churches. Although listing all sins is not necessary for confession, for according to Psalm, the psalm, it is impossible. Who can discern his errors? Psalm 19. Now turn with me to page 50 as we look at confession in Article 25. Confession in the churches is not abolished among us. The body of the Lord is not usually given to those who have not been examined, 1 Corinthians 11, and absolved. The people are very carefully taught about faith in the absolution. Before there were profound silence about faith, our people are taught that they should highly prize the absolution as being God's voice and pronounced by God's command. The power of the keys, Matthew 16, is set forth in its beauty they are reminded what great consolation it brings to anxious consciences and that God requires faith to believe such absolution as a voice sounding from heaven, as an example from John chapter 12. They are taught that such faith in Christ truly obtains and receives the forgiveness of sins. Before, satisfactions were praised without restraint, but little was said about faith, Christ's merit, and the righteousness of faith. Therefore, on this point, our churches are by no means to be blamed. Even our adversaries have to concede the point that our teachers have diligently taught the doctrine of repentance and laid it open. Well, Pastor Shave, it, it, it kind of repeats itself, but also expounds on, on the, 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 the blessing of confession. How do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So it's specifically talking about when we approach the Lord's altar to receive his sacrament you know, that it is told to us in Scripture that we should examine ourselves, and that's what this gives us an opportunity to do. And again, for many people, the general uh, confession absolution at the beginning of the divine service, um, you know, without needing to list out your sins, they receive that absolution, uh, and their sins are forgiven as they approach the altar. But also, it's getting to the point of the power of the keys. So when there is a specific burden that's laid upon you, when you uh, have a certain sin um, that is, still troubles you and makes your heart anxious, as it says here, um, that anxious conscience. Um, this is your opportunity to hear from your pastor that that specific sin has been forgiven. And so I think what it gets to the point of is why would God do that? Why would want he want to have this human voice 
in your ear to hear that that specific sin has been forgiven. Because as it says, it's not about you making satisfaction, but instead what it allows that pastor to do is on behalf of Christ and instead of Christ to hear in your own ears that specific sin that troubles you has truly been forgiven. And the power of keys, as we know from the catechism, is that you know whatever is bound on uh, earth is bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed is loosed in heaven. And so that is a direct mandate from Christ to, to give this precious gift to his people that you can know and hear in your own ears um, from God himself. Uh, this is something that's been granted to the church, and a called and ordained minister has uh, been called to do this. Uh, so that you can hear that that specific sin, that whatever that burden is, that it's been unyoked. It has been loosed from you. The connection that is made here that's even different than the small catechism is that connection of confession absolution and receiving the Lord's Supper. Do you have any thoughts on that? As, as That is very clear in this confession compared to the other parts of the confessions. That, that there is a connection of receiving this gift and then also almost like directly running to the Lord's Supper. Any thoughts? Yeah, sure. I mean, you look through the Old Testament and anytime somebody was in the presence of God, what was the reaction? It was absolute fear. When you touch something that was holy with your unholy being, you know, what happened? That you were, you know, destroyed. Uh, you know, try to go touch the Ark of the Covenant and see what happens, right? So, I mean, when we talk about going to the altar for the Lord's Supper, to be in the very bodily presence of Christ, it should strike a little bit of fear in us and awe that, um, you know, I'm about to approach the Holy of Holies in the temple. Um, and I want to do that in a right manner. And so I think that's why it is important that Scripture tells us that one should examine yourself before coming to the altar. And if you still have something that, you know, you feel uh, is burdening you and making you unholy uh, before you approach that altar uh, to receive the Lord's Supper, that is, again, this precious gift. If the general absolution, um, you know, you, you need to know that whatever that thing is, that you just think, nope, not that one. That one cannot be covered by what the pastor said in the divine service. This one's just too big of a sin, or I've done it one too many times. You know, before you approach the altar, this gives you the opportunity to know, no, I have been made holy. I am washed clean. I've heard it in my own ears, Satan. You know, that I have been forgiven of that exact thing that I thought would make me unholy for life. And yet I heard it from, you know, this pastor who speaks on behalf and instead of Christ himself, that I am now prepared um, and I have examined myself and I am ready to approach the altar. And the beauty of that is, well, one that you actually use the word beauty in this. You know, round number four, the power of the keys is set forth in its beauty. And I love that because it does give us that understanding of how soothing it is to the anxious conscience. And also how I never thought about this before, and you touched on it, is basically when we talk about being examined, often we will see that simply as, am I a sinner? Um, am I fully repentant? You know, right before you come for communion, mm -hmm. on a, like for a divine service, but really, one of the answers of you saying, I have been examined when you receive the Lord's Supper is, I've received absolution. I guess I've never really thought about that much. Any any thoughts you have on that? Yeah, I mean, I think historically it's, it's pretty obvious that in the past, before you came to the Lord's Supper, you would examine yourself, which meant you were going to announce 
they were coming to communion and you would have to spend time with the pastor to pour it all out there to him um, before you approach the altar. Right. And, you know, he also would kind of be examining you for something that you're, you're not recognizing as being an issue. Um, you know, I, I think that's happened many times where, you know, it takes a seal sorge. It takes somebody who can examine the soul to help you to recognize sometimes something that's amiss. And so that was part of uh, coming to the Lord's Supper every Sunday is that you would spend time uh, with your pastor and you would kind of go through that kind of uh, soul searching examination, not to nitpick and get into you know every detail. But if, if there is something that uh, that the pastor recognizes as, again, getting back to the idea of caregiver, uh, a physician of your soul, that was part of what they did. I do want to talk about on in it talks about the John passage because it says they were reminded what great consolation it brings to ancient anxious consciences and that God requires faith to believe such absolution as a voice sounding from heaven. <laughs> now, this reference is from John 12, where it says this, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel spoke to me. And Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Which, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, you know what? I remember it, but I never would have connected that with confession absolution. So what is Melanchthon saying here when he says, this absolution as a voice sounding from heaven? What, yeah. what do you have to say? Well, I'd say the first thing is you and I as pastors, that kind of makes us squirm a little bit to think that our voice has anything to do with a voice sounding from heaven. And yet we recognize, you know, that's why we wear those black shirts to uh, represent that we are sinful men that will die and uh, like everybody else. And yet you have that white tab over the collar that's about to announce that forgiveness of sins. And why? Because your voice box, that is what is the vessel to hear what Christ has to say on this matter. And what Christ has to say is, I forgive you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that your sin is as far as the east is to the west. It's like a spark that's been thrown into the ocean. And so it's not just my voice. I'm simply the vessel. I am just there as a messenger of what Christ is actually doing and saying. And so that's what makes it uh, so beautiful, like you said. And that's the voice sounding from heaven. And that's how God works in those simple, simple means. Like, you know, my voice is not the voice of God, and yet that is the voice that he has chosen to make that absolution and to be that voice. How cool would it be if you were, you know, giving forgiveness of sins on Sunday morning, and right at that time there was thunder? Have you ever had that, Pastor? <laughs> Just uh, mostly police sirens. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you serve in the city, that's just kind yes. of normal. You know, that's just a Sunday morning. That's what that's called. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other part that is quite fascinating, and we've seen this theme through the last few studies, especially throughout the whole Augsburg Confession. But for example, when we were in Good Works, Article 20, uh, one of the fascinating realities, and I encourage you, our listeners, to go back to that article, because I, I think that's one of the crown jewels, besides obviously justification by faith, uh, Article 4. Uh, that this highlights that when you talk about good works, it goes, always goes back to, to two things, justification by faith and the forgiveness of sins. That they're talking about that two-thirds of the time here in good works, and it just, like, what, what are you talking about? Show us the good works. Show us what to do. 
because the focus was the foundation. If it's not justification by faith, then you are trying to make some kind of satisfaction. We saw that with the Mass last week with Dr. Rick Stuckwish. And speaking about how the Mass became another source of satisfaction. So you had good work satisfaction, the Mass satisfaction, and then confession became satisfaction. And so you think about all of this, that it they had to really diligently keep saying, like it does um, at the end of number four, they are taught that such faith in Christ truly obtains and receives the forgiveness of sins. It always goes back to this understanding of faith in Christ for the sake of your forgiveness. So it connects it always back, not to our works, not to our actions, because we like to slither that in every moment we can. And it reaffirms it again here today. Um, Dr. Shave, as you look at your work, like you've talked about different missions and, and your work as a pastor, why is it so important that they keep hitting on faith and the forgiveness of sins and such things? Yeah, well, just talk, talking about that a little bit more, you know, it also speaks to righteousness. And Jesus says, your righteousness has to be greater than that of the Pharisee. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Pharisee, it was an act, and they would make up their own ways to appear righteous to the world. And so in the world, when you're out there doing missions, that happens quite often. Where, you know, I remember, uh, you know, as a church planter and we went to meet with some gentlemen that were just coming out of prison and they would say, you know, well, when I get my act together, I'll come and visit your church. And when I get all cleaned up, you know, it's like that's not the way that this works, you know. We can't make ourselves righteous enough to go stand before God. It's the other way around. It's got to be Christ's righteousness that is your own through faith. And you receive that um, by, again, receiving the forgiveness of sins. And so, so many people would kind of shy away because they didn't think they were worthy uh, to be in the presence of God rather than understanding that it's not our righteousness. It's actually Christ's righteousness. Or I remember one time... Uh, I was a hospital chaplain as well when I was doing church planning, and it was just an outreach for me. And I had a, a nurse that called me up, asked me to come visit a man, extremely agitated. This is his last day on earth, um, and, you know, he was very anxious. Uh, but it gave me an opportunity to go through confession and absolution with him to help him to understand when you go, it's not going to be about what you did and didn't do. It's going to be about what Christ has done for you. Do you believe it? And do you believe that when I speak the words of forgiveness that is coming from God himself? I walked out of that hospital room and the nurse said, what did you just do? Because they're about ready to completely sedate him. Uh, for his final hours, but instead he went in peace. And that's what this understanding of true righteousness and forgiveness does. Same thing with, I'm always amazed when I, in my position now as the executive director for LAMP, we go up north into indigenous communities, you know, we'll meet with people on the street. And, you know, I'm always surprised as we just talked about how we can be like Pharisees in the church and not want other people to know that, oh man, they might figure out that I'm actually a sinful person. You can meet people on the street that will walk up to you and confess that they've fallen away from the faith. They've fallen into a drug addiction. You know, they aren't uh, where they want to be in their path any longer. And they will confess those things. And it gives you an opportunity to also tell them about the forgiveness of sins. And so when we think about people not taking advantage of this, you know, who is the only one that doesn't want somebody to be forgiven? You know, what does it say? When one sinner repents, all of heaven uh, rejoices. All the saints and angels 
rejoice in this celebration. Who is the only one that doesn't want that celebration to happen? It's Satan. And so we have to understand that it's the devil that's trying to convince us to look to our own satisfactions. It's the devil who's trying to keep us from truly feeling that we have been loosed of these burdens and that we might come and repent and receive that. And all of heaven would celebrate every time that that happens. It's, it's amazing to think about how the forgiveness of sins is something exactly the devil does not want. And in some ways, our old Adam, actually in many ways, our old Adam desires the same. We don't want to let go of that sin because for whatever reason, we feel like somehow that's going to make us, at the very least, feel better. Hmm. That if I hold on to this, or our old Adam also wants to hold it on for somebody else. I heard this once, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Pastor is one of the reasons why we have a hard time forgiving somebody else is because if we forgive um, in Christ, of course, then we can't bring it up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you think about that and how easily that can happen for each one of us. What do you, what do you think? Oh, sure. Every, every one of us has that um, kind of twisted understanding that I can file this away in my file folder and when I need it later, I can just pull it back out again and rub it in your face. I mean, that's that's our old Adam. That's our, our human nature. Um, but, you know, we also understand that Scripture condemns us. You know, if there's something that we are unwilling to forgive and truly unloose, we can't then expect to come and receive forgiveness either. And so we, we have to, no matter what the harm is, you know, just as Christ bore that sin of mine and harm in his own flesh. Sometimes we have to bear that in our flesh. That is our burden as as a Christian, that we will carry that uh, cross and that harm and that wound because it truly means that that person is going to be loosed. And it's hard for us to, you know, think about uh, somebody that has harmed us uh, deeply, that they will be unyoked of this burden and they will be loosed of that sin. And we would rather that they have to bear that in their flesh, but that's not what we as Christians do. We bear it in our own flesh that we are willing to forgive and we are willing to understand God's mercy and graces for them as well and that they can be set free just as we have been set free. Well, thanks be to God for that. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Confession, Article 25 in the Augsburg Confession. We'll be right back. military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors, careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors, a sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. And welcome back. We are studying the biblical view of confession and absolution from Augsburg Confession, Article 25, with Pastor Steve Shave of Lutheran Association of Missionaries and Pilots in Canada and Lamp Ministry USA. Pastor Shave, as we look at page, we are on page 50, and I look at number 6 on page 50 of Article 25. It is fascinating because it says this, Even our adversaries have to concede the point 
that our teachers have diligently taught the doctrine of repentance and laid it open. I think the natural pushback that we all have to confession absolution is the question of, are people really repentant? And so there's probably a, a very much so a pushback from uh, the Catholic Church at that time, from others that said, yeah, that's great that you forgive people, but are they really repentant? <laughs> and this is a real big temptation um, as we look at our, our Christian life. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would imagine that's similar to when we talk about our faith and is my faith strong enough? And I, I want mm. a stronger faith. And instead of focusing on the strength of our own faith, it really matters more what your faith is in. My faith is in Christ crucified for the forgiveness of my sins. And the, the repentance is the same thing. I want to receive that forgiveness that Christ has won for me on the cross. Um, and it is hard. We cannot read the human heart to know their motivation, um, whether they truly do have contrition and repentance, um, if it's an act, you know, but we have to trust in God that he, he uh, ultimately is the, the judge. I want to go back to the small catechism. Actually, this is the last time that uh, Dr. Shave and I were together on, on, on Concord Matters, but looking at the small catechism, it very explicitly speaks in simple terms like we're hearing today on what is confession. And then I want to tell a little story. So if you look on, actually, if you have a hymnal, don't have to have a hymnal, but your small catechism, page 326 in your hymnal, uh, it's at what, how Christians should be taught to confess. What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution. That is forgiveness from the pastor as God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it, our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Now, this very clear words about what it is about. Confess your sins, as it talks about repentance in the Augsburg Confession. It talks about contrition and faith. And as we look at this, it, it brings this reality that not only do we need to confess our sins, but we need the forgiveness of sins. And people know this even in our culture. There was a great episode in, in ER, if you remember the old ER show, where this man was in the hospital. He was definitely on hospice. And he was confessing all of his sins to this chaplain, this lady that was the chaplain of that ER. And at the end of it, she said, well, you shouldn't feel so bad because sometimes we feel like these are sins when they really aren't. And then he's like, what? <laughs> and, and he goes down the list. He's like, I have no time for this. I need some form of atonement before I pass. Just like how you mentioned being a hospital chaplain. I need atonement. And he didn't say he needed Jesus, any of that, but you could tell he needed to be made clean at that time. So really, in my thought is people actually do want forgiveness from their pastor. Uh, and and some, if you don't give it, then they're always just kind of left in their sins. Your thoughts? Absolutely. That's what makes that precious gift. We all have the law written on our heart. We all have a conscience. We all know that we have sinned. Uh, before God and with our fellow neighbor. And we do need that kind of uh, assurance. I, I think, again, when you think about why would God work through these human means like this, he wants something tangible. He doesn't want to set that man in the hospital to be searching around in his heart until he finally finds it. He gives us these things that are, that are outside of ourselves to give us a clear assurance that that particular thing that burdens us has been given to us. As you said, the man seeking the atonement 
um, you can hear when you hear it in your own ears and know that it's from God Himself. Uh, that is a huge uh, amount of assurance that you can have. So tell us this, Pastor. As we read this, it's very clear that the Concordians retained confession absolution. They affirmed it here twice in the Augsburg Confession. Uh, how how often should a Christian receive confession absolution, go through confession absolution. Yeah, I mean, again, thinking of this in terms of a physician of the soul, how many times do you need to go to the doctor? When when you're having pain and feel like you're having a heart attack, do you just say, well, <laughs> I guess I'll get around to it? You go, <laughs> right? I mean, there's no need to like continue to suffer uh, and be burdened um, and to have fear and anxiety um, you know, w- when you have that, you know, that's a great time uh, for you to have that, that healing balm of forgiveness. Um, that's, that's the gift that God wants you to have, that you can receive that pardon um, and to be loosed of that. And so um, I would say it's, it's good to have a regular practice of doing that, just like you would go regularly uh, to get your checkup to, at the doctor. But, you know, yeah, don't, don't just wait. Um, if something's really troubling you, um, why not receive this precious gift instead? Now, in this world, I, I want to just talk about some of these practical matters a little bit, that when we have forgiveness of sins in the church, well, you'll hear the language in today's world. The world will say, uh, water under the bridge. They'll say, don't worry about it, we were young. Um, forget about it, we're good. How is a cultural view of forgiveness different than the absolution that we receive from Christ. Yeah, the world will try to teach us different ways to bury it deep down inside your heart, right? I mean, I think that's ultimately what they're telling you to do is like, if I can just hide this thing deep enough, I can stop being burdened by it. And it doesn't work. (laughs) As you said, when you kind of get to your final moments in life, um, those regrets are still there. The deep, dark crevices in your heart of those, you know, um, things that you, you struggle with, Um, they don't go anywhere. And so for as much as they try to just push it down and press it deep into your heart to get rid of it, you can't get rid of it. The only way to get rid of it is by putting it on Christ. You know, he's the one that carries the cross. And so you have to remove it from yourself and give that to Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Even when you think about how he descended into hell, you know, um, Christ will go into hell and he will say of that sin, you know, that's not yours, that's mine, give it to me. And so, yeah, the, the world has many, many different ways to try to mask it, to bury it deep down. But the only way to truly be rid of that burden is to give it to Christ. I heard one pastor put it this way. When we receive forgiveness, it is Jesus who grabs a hold of that sin, holds it on his shoulders, puts it on there and says, that sin is mine now, and you can't have it back. <laughs> Good way. I, I left out that you can't have it back, but that is absolutely true. It's not yours anymore. Exactly. It is no longer your burden to bear. It is his. So, <laughs> Pastor, before we get on to the last a few sections, uh, anything else you want to highlight uh, in Numbers 1 through 6? Um, no, just that, again, the the... the point of one through six is to remind people that if you do have this anxious conscience, you don't have to continue uh, to bear with that and struggle with that. But God instead has a very clear way for you to be released of that. So that's good. 
Once again, thanks be to God. We are number seven on page 50 of the Augsburg Confession, Article 25. We continue. Our churches teach that naming every sin is not necessary and that consciences should not be burdened without worry about naming every sin. It is impossible to recount all sins. As Psalm 19, verse 12 testifies, who can discern his errors? Also, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If only sins that can be named are forgiven, consciences could never find peace. I'm going to stop there because this is a major, major part of the confessions, small catechism. They're like, what, what sins should we confess? And if you go look back, uh, you don't have to look back, but I'll read it here. What sins should we confess? Small catechism. Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. So Melanchthon and the Concordians are very concerned about people confessing their sins, receiving absolution, that is to be retained, but not to be overburdened with trying to name all of them. Why would that be? Yeah, I mean, because if you think about the opposite, what if that wasn't true? What if, you know, if I missed a sin, that would meant, you know, that instead of giving it to Jesus and can't take it back, it meant that it's stuck to me. Um, that would be a horrifying thing. And that would mean like I have to go into purgatory and I have to somehow, you know, uh, finally have satisfaction for whatever that that sin that I missed. You know, now it means that I'm going to be stuck with that and I'm going to feel that guilt for the rest of my life and beyond. And I'm still going to have to have some sort of atonement and satisfaction for it later on. And so that is not correct. <laughs> that is not when Jesus says it is finished. That means it is finished. And so that, I think, is why it's so important um, that we don't want to think that uh, if I if I didn't see something or I didn't catch something and I didn't confess it properly, that it still clings to me. Um, that is not at all how that worked. Jesus took my sin, you know, from before and to come, and he says it is finished. And I think that's why it's so important to understand that, you know, there will be times where I hurt somebody and do something hurtful and not even recognize that I was sinning against them. But still, when I confess my sins, I can know that, yes, when I hear the absolution, I've been forgiven of it. There was one time I had a, uh, a gentleman from a church I served, and he was dating a gal that was Roman Catholic. It just, a, you know, this is not trying to rail on any um, certain church body, but, but one of the things that she found interesting was her comment to this guy that she was dating after church one time, they went, they went and they had lunch and she said, Lutherans must sin more than Catholics. And he goes, why is that? And she said, because there's about four or five times that people had to be forgiven throughout the service. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I think that particular Sunday one, I think it was John chapter 20 that we had as one of the readings. So that was obviously in the sermon. Um, it was at the beginning of service. It was clearly in uh, communion, that she really noticed the forgiveness of sins. And I think there was something at the end that we just talked about, now that you are forgiven, receive the benediction. And so she just said, man, it just kept talking about forgiveness. And what was fascinating about that is there is a reality that some people, it doesn't soothe their conscience, like I mentioned before, because forgiveness is something that um, if, if it's that easy to be forgiven, 
then um, I don't want any part of that. I want to work for this. And they literally just don't want to hear it. Uh, your thoughts on that or any experiences as such? Well, for sure. I mean, even within the divine service, if you give me an hour, I'm sure there would be multiple sins committed. So that is <laughs> that is true. But on the other hand, God wants you to hear it over and over again. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Why is he doing that? Why does God keep driving home the point that when you leave this place, you're forgiven? Because when you leave the divine service, unfortunately, as you're talking about other denominations and such, there might be times where you go somewhere and you feel worse coming out and are so law laden that, you know, you have no peace. When you go to a Lutheran service, you hear you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. God is driving the point home that when you leave that place, you leave in peace. You should never leave the divine service without leaving in peace, knowing that you truly are forgiven. You are loved. God's love for you is unconditional. Christ has said that it is finished. There is no depth that he would not go for you to know that all of your sins have been forgiven. You are his. You are made holy. You have been washed clean. You will go out into the world in Christ and serve him, and that you can leave that place in no other condition but that in complete peace, because you heard it over and over, my sins have been forgiven in Christ. So if someone says to you, uh, you know, you're forgiving sins too much, maybe that's another time to say, well, you're forgiven. <laughs> Once again, no, we don't want to go that route. But anyways, it's kind of one of those quips that you almost want to give when someone says, well, I want to be able to do something. And you're like, you're right. And then when you're about to do that, always remember the forgiveness you have in Christ. Anything else you want to highlight before we move on? No, I think I'm good. All right. We are on just above number 10. For it writes on page 50, For many sins cannot be seen or remembered. The ancient writers also testify that a listing of sins is not necessary. For in the decrees, Chrysostom is quoted, and he says, I do not say that you should make your sins known in public, nor that you should accuse yourself before others. But I would have you obey the prophet who says, Make known your ways before God, Psalm 37, verse 5. Therefore confess your sins before God, the true judge, with prayer. Tell your errors, not with the tongue, but with the memory of your conscience, and so forth. And the gloss admits that confession is of human right only. Nevertheless, because of the great benefit of absolution, and because it is otherwise useful to the conscience, confession is retained among us. One of the great moments you see throughout the confessions, first of all, is that God's word is infiltrated everywhere. Nothing is said, like I mentioned at the beginning, nothing is said that is outside of scripture, and nothing is said more than what scripture actually has to say. But also, they go to the early church fathers to affirm exactly what he is saying. So what does Chrysostom tell us here today? Yeah, I think when it's talking about speaking openly, there is a tendency sometimes to, like, if I blurt out that I was a horrible wretch and I make myself out to be even a worse sinner than anybody else, somehow that makes us a stronger believer in the end. Uh, and so you almost kind of use it as a badge of honor that I was just so shameful and bad and, you know, um, and it's saying that's just another way to be careful. That's not a satisfaction uh, to make yourself any holier uh, by by confessing it. 
before other people, that it's truly God that you're turning to as the judge um, through prayer. And then again, whatever your conscience is burdened by that you're making that, that confession. And so I think that's kind of that same idea of, you know, you don't want to just openly pray out in the corner street to get attention, uh, to make yourself look holier either. Uh, but instead that God has given us this tool uh, to be used so that we can know that our conscience is clean. I mean, what would be the issue, though, if someone were to stand out and just confess to everybody about all their sins? I mean, that sounds like a, not a good deal, but it just sounds like, what's the problem with that? Um, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, I would just, again, just kind of as a caution that even that we can turn it into somewhat of a satisfaction um, you know, to, to really point out in a very public way. And, you know, that's good. That's good if you want to tell your testimony of where you were um, and who you are now in Christ, that's wholesome and healthy and, and all the rest. But if you use that as kind of a satisfaction uh, to, to make yourself out to be an even greater believer because of, you know, where you came from and uh, that you want to make it very public about here, here are all these horrible things that I did. And somehow that makes you a stronger believer in the end. That's, I think would be the only, the only caution. And again, just like with prayer, it's not about a public display. It's about you and God and being forgiven. Well, and it's amazing to me as, as you mentioned before, that who doesn't want us to be forgiven? The devil. (laughs) And who wants us to almost make uh, uh, make it feel like the sins that we have done uh, makes us to feel better about things. Well, the devil does, because then you keep doing it and, and acting like it's about me and not, not everyone else. So he takes everything and twists it, the father of all lies. So as I'm hearing all this, Pastor Shave, it feels like at every every way we go as Christians, we can easily be deceived. And that can kind of be... <laughs> frustrating as Christian people, what would your encouragement be? Because this can kind of lead us in a whole bunch of different directions. But what would your encouragement be as a Christian is always being tempted with different sins throughout the entirety of their baptized uh, Christian life? Yeah, I mean, just that we are in the world, but not of the world. Um, We don't want to also give this appearance that, well, I'm so earthy and down to earth, and I'm just going to jump right in and, you know, do things that you know, are not scriptural and, uh, you know, the whole bodiness or whatever, where you're trying to be more earthy and down with the people or whatever that might look like. I mean, ultimately, we, we live a sanctified life, and that's the gift that, that God gives to us. So we have to be careful that we're not also um, t- taking God's grace uh, as kind of a license to then, I'm going to uh, make this so public because I'm, I'm out there with, in the world and trying to be more down to earth and being of the world instead of in the world. I think that's another, uh, I think that's where you're getting at kind of mm-hmm. a tr- trick of the devil um, that, you know, no, I want to live a life in Christ. Um, I want to be humble uh, and I want to uh, serve God and everything that I do and not to stray from the path to, to be more of the world, to win the world, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And then this is where it comes down to, that feeling of, oh, since I can just go and be forgiven, then I can just do whatever I want. And Paul speaks right. of this, too, you know, that uh, by no means, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul tells us. And this is where uh, it's, it's a good reminder that forgiveness is that free and gracious uh, gift 
that is the fruit of what Christ has given to us. Which is why I love at the end, um, in 12 and 13, that it speaks about how confession and absolution is to be retained. Now, this is a common, common uh, profession throughout the Augsburg Confession that Melanchthon is writing that the Concordians agreed with. Because, you know, they want everything, a lot of these things to be retained. And why is it so important for the, for the Lutherans, for the Concordians, that confession and absolution was retained? Yeah, I mean, and it's being clear that this isn't like the words of institution or the Lord's Prayer. There's no set perfect pattern for how you do it. So you don't have to burden yourself with that either. But instead, to recognize that there is a great benefit of absolution. It needs to be retained because it is such a great gift, just like the divine service itself. You know, you shouldn't be thinking of it. This is my labor. This is my work. Now, this is God's gift to you to be received. This is um, not something that you have to earn or deserve, but instead God uh, in his unconditional love for you pours these things out for you. And so that's why it's retained because it's such a precious gift. And Brady, I'm sure that there are people uh, you and myself included, that there's something in your life that happened that you still have regrets to this day. The devil will constantly use that like, you know, a, a skip in a record where it just keeps, you know, in your ear over and over or like in a video where it keeps looping that same scene in your head. The devil will put that in your head constantly if he could to burden you with that. And there's a reason why this needs to be retained. Because this is it. This is the chance that you can hear. In the stead and by Christ's command, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know that there's a listener here that is, you know, got something in their mind that they regret. They just cannot get past whatever that is. And the beautiful thing about the absolution, as you see it in the small catechism, is those final words of go in peace. No matter what it was that you did, no matter how many times you did it, the final words that you hear in your ear from Christ himself is go in peace. Now, I have to say, too, I used to, I really liked, I loved the pastoral uh, care companion, but I remember starting out with the blue version. Mm-hmm. In the blue version, it didn't just say go in peace. It said go in peace, and then it spoke of how you have been set free. Mm-hmm. So... This is retained for our people to not only know that you can go in peace, but that whatever it was when you walked in here that burdened you, you have been set free, and it was Christ himself who has announced it. That's why we retain this. So let's go into some practical realities of this. As it mentions um, in the note, and I, I would say even in the, probably at this time, that there had to be some freedom for people saying, you mean I don't need to go to confession every single year? Well, then I don't have to go at all. This is great. Uh, so even in our, world, in our world today, I would say there's definitely been a, uh, not a revival by any means, but an understanding of this is part of who we are in, in our time in the Lutheran Church, at least in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that there's some practical realities that this is just not baked in. This is not quite in the DNA. So for somebody who is, for our listeners and for our pastors who are listening to, what are some simple ways that we can make this uh, just part of who we are as Christians? Yeah, I would say that this should be considered just like when you go to the doctor's office because you got a pain 
you know, something's not right, something's off. It gives you a chance to be with your physician of the soul. And pastors, too, should recognize that, yes, you can kind of give general health care to everybody, but this is your opportunity to focus in on a specific uh, ailment that this person has. There's a specific, uh, you know, balm or medicine that that person needs uh, to be healed of this wound. And so that, that is how we should view this. It's not a stigma. You didn't do something so horribly wrong that you know need to go to the pastor's office, but instead to recognize that this is a precious gift. This is not a chore. This is not something laborious. This isn't something that you have to do to be better than other people. This is all pure grace. This is God's gift to you that you can hear in your own ear whatever that thing was that has been burdening you with regret for however many years, you can walk out of there completely healed, just like with a physician, and know that you have been uh, set free of whatever that yoke was that's been weighing down on you for however long it's been, you can have that yoke lifted today. And all it takes is a visit to your physician of the soul. It was interesting. One person, uh, one pastor once said that even if you have a terrible sermon, the people at least will be able to leave knowing they're forgiven. <laughs> Which I thought was a great, a great consolation for us as pastors. Now, Pastor, I do want to bring bring this up: is that somebody comes to your office, they receive confession and absolution. You say those words at the end: "Go in peace." Uh, you've been set free, as the old uh, pastoral care companion would say. You, that is done, and they leave. They come back later. Or they come to church and they're just like, I'm still feeling guilty over that. What would be your suggestion for a pastoral practice or your suggestion to those who are still being burned by that sin that they clearly have confessed and received forgiveness for? What would be your counsel? Yeah, I kind of getting back to what you talked about before, too, is that idea of false guilt, you know, where they feel like, nope, that must not have worked. I, uh, you know, that couldn't have been forgiven. That's your own kind of unbelief there right that's that is satan still that is lie <laughs> okay that is not truth because what is truth is that that really did happen you really were released so you know that is that is part of it but it's also a process just like healing a wound isn't going to just happen overnight sometimes or it may take several trips to the doctor or that wound opens back up again and you know you need to put the stitches in again or whatever you might want to consider that in terms of how it's not a a one and done thing but ultimately what it comes down to is recognizing the truth of the matter though is that christ said it was finished you heard in your own ears christ saying that you've been forgiven and you have to work through that kind of that you know i believe help my unbelief pastor with a minute left in our time how would you encourage our listeners in christ especially in the light of confession absolution Yeah, just to know that we all have our struggles, we all have our regrets, we all have things we wish we would not have done. Um, You know, Satan will constantly be throwing that in your face. That's what he does. He doesn't want you to have this repentance and forgiveness. He doesn't want that celebration for one sinner forgiven. And just recognize, you know, God has truly given us this precious gift. We should take advantage of it. You should avail yourself of this gift to, again, 
whatever the burden, whatever it is that's weighing on you, you can have that yoke taken off your shoulder. You can be set free of whatever it is that burdens you. And all it takes is to go before God and to pour out uh, your conscience before him. And he wants, he promises, God always keeps his promises. When you do that, God promises you will hear that your sin has been forgiven and you can go in peace, an eternal peace, not the peace from this world, but that you can have an eternal peace when you turn to him for forgiveness. The Reverend Dr. Steve Shave of Lutheran Association of Missionary and Pilots Canada and Lamp Ministry USA teaching us concerning confession from the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Shave, thank you for being our guest. It's been great. Thank you for the invitation again, Brady. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.